Proverbs 27. I never heard that song till we came here. So that's just another one you taught me, brother. They say you can't teach an old dog new trick. Well, that ain't necessarily so. I want you to know God made us as social creatures. He really did. I know there's some people that say, oh, I read about this guy. He lived all by himself. It's just him and the Lord doing this, that, and the other. But that's the extreme. That's the exception. People say, I like to kind of live like Robinson Crusoe. Even he had Friday. Or Grizzly Adams. Even he had a bear. And a few other folks drop in from time to time. We were made not just to think about ourselves. That's one reason why I'm not a big fan of that song, In the Garden. As if me and the Lord got something going on. Nobody else knows anything about it. Nobody else has ever experienced what I have with the Lord. I can't find that in Scripture. I think that's going in the wrong direction. For you see, we were made as believers to be with others. And to interact with them. That's why we read in this 27th of Proverbs, iron sharpeneth iron. And somebody says, oh, I care about a couple of knives working together, a couple of swords, a couple of spears. No, it's not talking about that. One can mutually sharpen the other. And so he goes on to say, So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Your friend is the one who challenges you to draw closer to the Lord. Your friend is one who prays for you, and you pray for him or her. Ever since Eden, what did God say more than once in chapter 1 of Genesis? He did such and such. It was good. He did something else, and it was good. The last verse of that first chapter, he says, saw everything that he made, and behold, it was good. But then when you look in the second chapter, and verse 18, the Lord looks at the solitary man, Adam, walking around there in the garden. You know what the Lord said about Adam? It's not good that the man be alone. If you're with us this afternoon, 
The Lord willing, you'll hear me read it, and you'll read it yourself in your Bible. But if you're not here, let me just tell you, there is a verse in that 68th Psalm which says the Lord sets the solitary in families. I can't speak for every married man here, but this is one married man who's so glad the Lord brought one. It is life. And completed me. The one who is that help. I've been a pretty lonely rascal. The Lord had brought me. Hadn't brought me, pardon me, Marsha Harris into my life. Even the lost know something about this. Dale Carnegie and Associates, those folks made a lot of money with books like How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's important that we know that. And Jesus in the Gospel of Luke said, even the children of this world, they, they have some insight about some of these things. This Lone Ranger idea is foreign to Christianity. In Galatians 6, Paul opens that chapter and says, if any be overtaken at fault, he doesn't say, let him work it out on his own. Keep the distance. No, he says, ye that are spiritual. He doesn't say, those of you who have a long tongue and short wit, he says, ye that are spiritual, go to them. And do it in the sense of understanding that could have been me. How would I want somebody to talk to me about that? I'll tell you what, I've learned a lot more from somebody that came to me and said, brother, let me tell you something the Lord has shown me. Let me tell you something of my experience. I don't know about you, but that works a lot better than me. You dumbbell, you nitwit, that doesn't really help begin the conversation, now does it? So many times the wicked have interaction that is so wrong. In the book of Esther, it tells us about Haman, who we might say call him Haman, because Haman came in and said, I can't stand that guy, Mordecai. And his friend said, Well, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you get a, a plan going? Have a scheme so you can destroy him. You don't need friends like that. I don't need friends like that. I want to give you five little nuggets along the lines of what we're talking about here. And the first one is found in Proverbs chapter 18. So back up just a little bit. Proverbs 18, the first part of verse 24. You have probably read this before. It's still in the book though. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Marsha's worked with little kids a lot of years. And some of you have also worked with little kids a lot of years. And some of you who have kiddos know. Sometimes the kiddos will say, I don't have any friends. What have you done to make a friend? Nothing. Sometimes people expect others to just come to them. 
But we need to be others-oriented. Sometimes it's what we say, and sometimes it's how we say it. It's also in Proverbs that we read it's a soft answer that turns away wrath. Instead of gossiping, instead of bringing up things that are unnecessary, it's good to be like the preacher when he heard something negative about somebody else, and then somebody, a third party, did you hear, you know I made a specific point of forgetting that. That's a good thing. If you want documentation, the 17th of Proverbs and verse 9 says, He that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. Some things you just need to let it go. Aren't you God? Aren't you glad that God doesn't bring up every day the dumb things that you said and did? Or maybe the things that would have been smart to do, but you just didn't get around to it. You made excuses or whatever. If you want to have friends, show yourself friendly. Why? Because you're not living on a desert island all by yourself. You can be a help to others, and they can be a help to you. And that leads us to number two. Can't talk long about each of these little nuggets, but they're worth remembering. In Romans chapter 12, I want you to know that not only do we know that there are others, we should prefer others before ourselves. If you think to yourself, this is too good to give to him. This is too good to give to her. I'm going to save this for me. That ain't a Christian thing. The 10th verse of Romans 12 says, in honor of preferring one another. I would rather see you have this honor. I would rather see you blessed in this way. That shows a lot more maturity than me first. It's all about me. That was the example that the Lord showed. That's one reason why I asked, Brother Dan, could we please sing others? In Philippians Chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. I want to look good. I want bragging rights. It says, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That doesn't come naturally. Oh, the old pride crops up. We want to say, Well, I did this. And I did that. But I want you to know something, folks. In the Christian life, it's not all about me. And I'm not just saying that as a preacher. I'm saying this as a Christian. It's likewise true for you. It's not all about you. It's about how we can be more like Christ. He did for others. I think I came to see some more truth when I heard Earl Smith once say, Jesus never did anything for himself. He always did it for us. In fact, he made it clear the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. May we pour our lives into others. May we see others succeed. 
Parents do that with their kids if they love them. And we as parents, hopefully, do that as well toward our children, grandchildren. Somebody said, don't strive so much to be understood until first you have done your best to understand what others would say. Sometimes when you get two people having a discussion, it's not so much a question. I want to understand him or her, but I want to get my word in. I can't wait to throw in this little bomb and, and, and explode their concept or something like that. We have opportunities. Do we exploit them for the good? And that takes us to number three. Hebrews chapter 10. I preached a whole message, or I think maybe two or three, Brother Jeremy, he's pretty good back to that stuff, on being provocative. Usually we hear the word provocative, it means getting under somebody's skin. He provoked me. He's the cause of the whole thing. Probably every school teacher has had to get two little ones and said, Who started this? And they both said, He did. Or their girls, She did. Nobody wants to take the blame of starting it, but they want to get the credit for having finished it. And we hear the word provocative, and it's usually in a negative sense. But we are charged as Christians. To be provocative, not to be problems, not to be challenges, not to aggravate people, but to give a little nudge in the right direction. Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love, unto good work. You know, sometimes we just rest on the laurels of the example that we set. But it doesn't hurt to say a word. I'm so thankful that the Lord moved Brother Kenny this morning to comment on the fact. And if you missed it, well, the blessing was lost to you. But there's a second opportunity. Let me tell you what he said. He said, I, I do my best to be here. I know there are some people that, well, if I, if I can drag myself out of bed, if I, can, if I don't have something better to do, I, I guess I might make church. I'll do all those folks a favor. I'll do God a favor. Let me tell you something. You're not doing God a favor. You're an encouragement to the rest of us. <coughs> but it's supposed to be, and I do prayerfully, the best I can, to be part of the solution. To encourage you to realize how important it is that our lives are supposed to count. To provoke us. And... Uh, you know, it is interesting, the very next verse after that says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. 
I spent 28 years at one church every once in a while saying, by the way, folks, did you notice the sign out front? It says we have Sunday morning services. It also says we have Sunday evening services. It also says we have Wednesday night services. Did y'all know that? If you happen to drop in sometime when it's not your custom to do so, I can guarantee it wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt. So thank you for saying what you did. You didn't steal my thunder. You just encouraged me. Because whether you're here or not, uh, unless he's providentially hindered, this preacher's here, and his happy lady is here too, and others are too. But even if I'm not here, and she's not here, and some other familiar face isn't here, you know the Lord's here. The Lord is here. Why should I go to church? Well, uh, number one, the Lord is here and encourages you. Why do you suppose Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And he didn't say, when it's convenient. Hmm. Now I know that some, some folks drive so far, from, so far away, but do what you can. And the Lord knows what you're able to do. The Lord knows when you're providentially hindered. If you're in a hospital bed, Christians may come see you, but you might not have the opportunity to come see some Christians. But you do what you can. We were uh, reminded, and I didn't have this in my notes originally, but that's why God gave us pens so we could take notes. We were reminded, as it says in the book of Philippians, chapter 4. See, the Lord uses Brother, Brother King, and the Lord uses Brother Dan. And I told him, You must look through my notes. I appreciate that. When we were talking about Philippians 4. And verse 8 talks about those things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report. If there be any virtue, is it a good thing? If there be any praise, does it honor God? Now, you happen to catch me in a back alley, rolling seven. I can't say I'm doing that for the glory of God. Sometimes people do all kinds of stuff. And if you ask them, did you do that to the glory of God? Well, uh, not, not uh, specifically. Now, God can get glory out of it, but was that your motive? Was that the thing that caught your attention? We're to think on these things. Now, you probably remember, I mentioned it from time to time, I spent a lot of time in classrooms. I worked with little ones, medium-sized ones, big ones, and some of them bigger than me. And the Lord put me in a position. I was around people who needed a word of encouragement. They needed to be told something. They needed to be provoked to good works. 
Now in Roseville, California, for a couple of years, I taught at a Christian school. And on one occasion, we were in a place, and there was a guy there, and it, they were opening up the teachers. And the guy had yardsticks. I'm sorry, we call them yardsticks in some parts of the country. And he said, that is special for all you teachers. Within reason, any motto you might want to put, I will put on your yardstick for no extra charge. And I said, well, I'm going to take advantage of that. Can y'all read this? No. no? Well, you know how to read. Oh, because it's so small. All right, all right. Well, let me read it to you. It says, are you part of the problem or part of the solution? Yep. Now, I didn't go up with that, but I have repeated it, and that's helpful because sometimes you could use a yardstick for a lot of things, but I use that as a little bit of a reminder in my back. A couple of years later, I was teaching in Humboldt, Tennessee at Stigall Elementary. And some of my students didn't have the bestest grammar, if you know what I mean. And rather than make fun of them, rather than to chew them out and call them nitwits or something, I decided I'll put a little cartoon. And so I had this little English assignment. They had to pick the right verb, the right word to go in the blanks, you know, parenthetically, and you circle the one that's right. And down at the bottom, I drew a picture of this bubble head, and if you know my illustrations, you know, they're pretty crude, in the sense that they're not too, too fancy. And I had a Mr. We. And I had Mr. Is. And the two of them are saying, we don't like each other. You won't see us next to each other in a sentence. And the students looked at Mr. Ray, what's that there for? Just think about it. Because sometimes you hear people, they don't always get it quite right. And then years later, I was in an opportunity. I was teaching high school. And I don't know what it is about teenagers, but some of them think they can charge hell with a squirt gun, and others think, I can't do anything. I can't learn this stuff. This is just too tough. I'm going to quit. I, I'm through. So I made up a sign for that group. You can do this. Not really deep, but says something. Just four little one-syllable words. And sometimes Christian people need to be told, you can do this. We were reminded this morning how that Moses, and it wasn't the only occasion, but it's most memorable to me, how that Moses in the 14th of Exodus, the Children of Israel were up against the waters of the sea. They couldn't advance because the enemy was coming that way. 
They couldn't go this way. They couldn't go that way. They couldn't go up. They couldn't go down. They couldn't go around. And Moses holds out his staff and says, you better run. You better do what you can to hide. No! He said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord can do more when you're asleep than when you're awake and active and thoroughly engaged. The Lord's got you covered. And sometimes we're in a position to realize we'd better know that God has got this one. God can, and many times does, fight our battles for us. Well, that's three of them. Number four, go back to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Because while it is true that there's an awful lot of negativity in this world, there are a lot of people who are downers, grousers. I don't know who it was that said it, but it's been said and repeated probably millions of times. It is better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. What are you doing for good? Well, everybody else is this, and nobody's doing that. Sounds like that prophet who had been spared by God when God marvelously, miraculously caused fire to come down from heaven, consume that steer, and even lap up the water. And it caused the people to rejoice. They knew who Lebanon was there. No doubt about it. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. I want you to know, we got the same God, folks. He may not show Himself with miracles today, but there are marvels and there are mysteries and there are assurances from God's Word and vouchsafe in the experience of God's people. We have no reason to be negative about God. When it comes to our power, it's true. Jesus said, without me ye can do nothing. But the flip side is also true. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You want to be realistic. If the Lord is in it, it's happening. If the Lord ain't in it, it ain't happening. Romans 12 ends with verse 21. Be not overcome with evil. It's so easy to hear a sad report. A discouraging word. And we get our lower lip pooched out and we're just dragging around and saying woe is me the world's going to hell in a handbasket and all we can do, I just hope I die or the Lord comes soon because I don't know how much more of this I can take you think God dropped the ball no he's still on the throne he is still king of kings and lord of lords I, I don't look forward to the day when the Lord God omnipotent reigned. He does right here, right now. Amen. We might not act like it. We might not talk like it. We might not think like it. But it's so. It's so. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. 
And that concept is echoed in 1 Peter chapter 3 and uh, verse 16. You know, we, we focus on 15, which talks about be able to give an answer to every reason, the hope that lies within us. And read the next verse. Having a good conscience. Hmm. That says a lot. That's worth a whole sermon. I won't preach it today. Having a good conscience. Whereas they, those are those folks out there who are quick to point the finger, who are quick to cast the accusing word, who are quick to find fault. And if you have been a Christian very long, and if you've done anything right, there are people who will talk behind your back, who will trash you. And instead of getting all pooched out and feeling sorry for yourself and wanting to just pull your head in the shell like a turtle, no! Having a good conscience, whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers. Why did you hear what that Christian said or did? They might have to lie to get something bad on you. I'd rather they lie than for it to be true about me. Not that I want people to go around lying, but I sure don't want to give anybody an occasion to blaspheme. I don't want to give anybody an excuse to say, oh, everybody knows that Christianity, that's just a bunch of foolishness and they're all a bunch of hypocrites. If everybody saw only you, as a Christian, the only Christian, what would they think of the faith as it is in Jesus? Whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accused your good conversation in Christ. Now, word conversation doesn't mean the way you talk, it means the way you walk, the way you live your life. We ought to live so well. We ought to walk the straight and narrow such that if somebody made up something about you or me, so well, I don't believe that. If somebody told you, Steve Rains is clumsy. He is. He'll tell you so. Steve Rains is. Steve Rains is. But if somebody came up with something to, to slam my character, I would hope to the Lord that my walk my talk has been consistent such that somebody would say, I don't believe that. I think I know him. He wouldn't say that. He wouldn't do that. Sometimes we're fooled by folks. Mr. Judas fooled a lot of people. And sometimes others might fool others. But we should conscientiously. We were reading this morning about how Paul told the Corinthians, you are our epistles. No one had read of all that. People who never met the Apostle Paul, they met some of his disciples and they saw how they lived, how they approached a situation, how they would respond to challenges. Well, if the student was like that, I can imagine the teacher was like that too. Yeah, many times the student is like his teacher. To be able to overcome evil with good. And then let's go back to Proverbs for number five. When you talk to people, is your attitude, any old words will do. Sometimes you can say something that's almost right. 
like the young man who wanted to impress his sweetie and he worded it a little bit wrong and it blew up in his face. It can happen. Proverbs 15, 23. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth and the words spoken in due season. How good is it? If you can get out just the right word, I don't think he was a Christian, but he had a little bit of insight when Samuel Clemens said the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between the lightning and the lightning bug. If your words are chosen so well. Someone approached James Michener. He wrote a lot of novels and was honored for his writing. Somebody came to him, you're a good writer. And he said, actually, I'm a good rewriter. I get an idea, and I work it, and I work it, and I want to word it just the right way. When a young man wants to go and ask for a raise on the job, he probably would walk into the boss and say, hey, boss, I kind of sort of think, you kind of sort of ought to give me a raise. I don't know that that's going to motivate the boss. I know if a young man wants to win the heart of a young lady, he probably wants to word it just right. There are times when you realize it's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. But as he says here, and this is echoed in Proverbs 25, in verse 11, perhaps this passage is even better known than the one we just read. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver, priceless. Sometimes all it takes is just something brief. I mentioned the Gettysburg Address. It's ten sentences, folks. It takes less than three minutes to read. On the occasion of the dedication of the Gettysburg Cemetery, the government hired the best-known orator of their day. Because to be honest, up to that point, most people thought of Abraham Lincoln as a country bumpkin. Sort of a cipher. But he was the president. He said, I would like to say a few words. And they thought, no. Well, we'll get this guy Edward Everett. And he got up and he went on for over two hours. And there was a round of applause. So much so that people thought, I feel sorry for Lincoln. He's going to get it. After that, that's a tough act to follow. And Lincoln got up there and in less than three minutes, the words sunk in. And Everett himself turned to Lincoln and said, you said in your short time what I couldn't quite say in two hours' time because he hit the nail on the head. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. There was a preacher in that Detroit area. He pastored a Baptist church in that neck of the woods. And his name was George Slavin. 
And I'm thankful that I had occasion to know Brother George. One year he was talking to young Marys. And he said, be careful what you say, how you say it. Think about who's listening. And he gave an illustration which has always stuck with me. He talked about this young man. He was a Christian and he was pretty full of himself. And one day he's looking in the mirror, admiring himself. And he said to his bride, You know, Millie, sometimes I think I was out of the will of God when I married you. Oh! Should have been slapped for saying something like that. But as a result, she stopped caring. She stopped putting much thought about her dress and her presentation. She slumped over when she walked. She didn't smile. She was drained emotionally. And out of desperation, they went to this brother George. And they said, we, we, we need to talk to you, preacher. We, uh, uh, there's something wrong in our marriage. And so... They had some pleasantries to talk about. And then he said, well, is there, any, is there anything we can work with? What are you talking about? And the husband, I don't know what her problem is. If she's married to the best guy in the world, she ought to be happy. After all, I'm a real prize. And then Millie, through her tears, said, well, a while back you made that comment. And husband that really hurt and she broke down and cried and the husband broke down and cried brother Slavin said I almost cried too because what you say and how you say it can lift somebody's spirits or it can slam them remember you are not an island. You have others around you. You have a husband or a wife. You have parents. You have children. You have neighbors, fellow workers. You are not all to yourself. You're not Robinson Crusoe or somebody else, some, somebody living off. No, you do answer to the Lord, but you do want to be careful. But what you say and how you say it involves, encourages, invokes, and provokes. That's why I asked you if we could send others. Thank you for your attention. I want you to be thinking about the fact that there is a flip side. There are some folks the wicked and the Lord willing Lord being my help I want to tell you next week what the word really says about the wicked and hopefully as a warning you'll be thinking along that line but for now could we have a song please?